reading from Judges 11 from Jephthah, the Gileadite. Uh, just means his daddy's Gilead. Um, here you go. Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in your, our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you will be our, you are head, you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah answers, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went to the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them, and he repeated all his words before the Lord at Mitzpah. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with the question, What do you have against us that you have attacked our country? And the king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's message, When Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land from Arnon to the Jabbok, all the way to Jordan. Now give it back peaceably. The king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message that Jephthah sent him. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mitzpah of Gilead, and from the, there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, If you give the Ammonites to my hand, into my hands, whatever come out of the door of my house to meet when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated twenty towns from Orar to the vicinity of Minith, as far as Abel Karamim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mitzpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines? She was only a child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, You have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised. Now though the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. You may go, he said, and he let her go for two months. She and the girls went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father, and she did to her as he had vowed, and she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite custom that each year the young woman of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor at Christ Central Church, and... uh, Last week, um, we took um, and enjoyed a, a break hearing Easter testimonies that uh, I, as I heard him, declared the work of a resurrected Lord and Savior in, in the lives of regular, non-vocationed uh, uh, people. And um, it was powerful. I thank those of you who testified and shared your stories, um, some, uh, both stories, incredibly hard. 
And um, we saw how good the Lord was um, to you. Thank you for that. So we return to our sermon series um, in the book of Judges. And the name lets us know, um, in review here, because it's trying to thaw our brains out here, um, that, that God will work through judges. Now, judges were military leaders used to guide um, God's people, Israel, in the uh, ancient Mideast some uh, 3,000 plus years ago to secure the promised land, which is now modern day Israel and uh, Palestine. Now, judges teaches us some lessons through means that are unfamiliar and even uh, uncomfortable to our modern day thought of peace and God and love and all those sort of things. They they accomplished this, the Israelites accomplished this shalom, this peace with God in their world through war, through bloodshed. And they did it to secure a place with God in their world um, where they would be able to worship God, the true God in spirit and in truth, while at the same time they were being used um, to show the world, the other nations that did not believe in Yahweh, that they were living as idols, uh, living uh, at odds, rather, with their creator God and should relent, that they should repent to him as the one true God over and against their pagan practices and false gods. Literally, um, what we have here um, in today's story of Judge Jephthah is the land possession declaring whose God was the true God. That if my God can beat up your God, then... My God is a true God. And Israel's God, Yahweh, was all about letting his people firstly and then the other nations secondly know that the God of Israel reigns and the God of the Bible is real and all others are human imaginations and spiritual perversities. But the Ammonites that we have in the story had returned to a land they had two landlords ago. The Amorites and Morites had taken the land from them. And then Israel had taken the land from the Amorites. And now the Ammonites begin to think we were there first, so we should seek to be the last to live here. And as a letter from Judge Jephthah to their king explain, no, Yahweh won. It's his land for his people. We could almost rename the book of Judges um, the War of the Gods because it teaches us over and over that the true warrior, king, ruler, judge over Israel was God, the God of the Bible. And that their military directions, all the things you see them do, are a call to fight. They were a direct call from God for his glory, but their benefit. God used earthly people whom he loved to declare his plan and purpose and redemption to the world. Anyways, you could imagine God using people to carry and display his glory. There were some kinks, some skimming off the top. As God's perfect and awesome purposes goes from him through sinful people, albeit his people in the world. And his people are called to gain their sense of value and worth and significance as instruments and objects of that grace. But when you get someone like Jephthah, son of a prostitute, 
who because he was a half-brother was, was run off from his family and mistreated as fatherless with no claim, not even, not even any child support. There is this vacuum of worth that makes him suck wind for significance, just like his people would without God in their lives. This is a story of a man, a leader, a people who, like you and I, We're dying for significance in a world that took it away, a world that spat on it, a story with a hard lesson about personal worth and significance, but uh, but a hard lesson with good news for those of us who are all in some way dying for a redeemed and renewed sense of significance and worth and value. See, Jephthah, he was eight mile. He was trailer park. He was a project kid whose mom was a prostitute and whose daddy and was a rolling stone and, and fam and had a family that failed to care for him, a claim for him, claim him. But but guess what? Jephthah was kind of fast and strong and he could throw a football. He could run. The Israelites were getting whooped up on Friday nights. So the Bible says they came to Jephthah, the elders, and begged him to lead them because he was the man. And you could kind of see this picture of these trustees from this high private school coming into the ghetto to talk to him, you know, looking around kind of afraid, you know, Jephthah there standing around on the corner with his boys, you know, and they're all, you know, the women kind of clutching their purses. Hey, Jephthah, we need you, man. We need you. Boop, boop. We need you. But in this choosing, the lesson on significance and worth begins. We can see from this and from the message Bible as a whole that that good news. It's good news. You and I are significant because of God's choosing. Now, there are different levels of, of human significance established by God that we can miss and do miss. And I think the Israelites missed it when they allowed him to be kicked out and not getting any inheritance and, and only offering dignity when they found out what he could do for them. And the very first level here is, of course, the fact that Jephthah was born. I mean, he was fathered by the will of God that he be here. He was not an accident first, not the result of a divine or defined ultimately by some drunk late night, unprotected affair with a prostitute. But foremost, he was the purposeful, propagated, propagated, created a person of God to be here. And even more so, as I think about it, in a world without modern medicine, someone being born is no small thing. But I say today. Even in modern medicine, regardless of what you've been through, you here. You were born. God did that. It reminds me of the color purple. Y'all know, y'all, y'all watch the color purple as much as I've seen it about 20 times. And I got the DVD for, for Christmas from Joel, and I just fast forward to different scenes, you know. I'll kill him dead before, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm, I'm in there crying. I run it to the end when her family comes after all these years. And I'm in there, you know, we know what's coming. One time Keller's like, could you just turn it? I don't feel like crying, please. I don't feel like going through that. Well, there's a scene in the movie that's very emotional. And Celia is an abused woman. 
and I would call it a post-slavery times and early 1900s, that's around that time. And and her husband, you know, there weren't any women rights and all kind of evil things have been done to her by this man and and uh, beaten her and just all kind of stuff. And there's a scene in the movie where she and her friend arrange to get away and he just begins to dog her. Ain't nobody going to like you. You're black. You're ugly, ugly. You're a woman. You can't talk. You can't do anything for yourself. And as she's riding away in the car from him, she says, I might be black. I might be a woman. I might be ugly. But I'm here. Thank God I'm here. With this liberating smile and there's nothing he can say against that. A simple but profound offering God for all humanity. You and I are significant first and foremost because we are here. But at the other level is that Jephthah is a covenant child. He was born to people and at least one parent that belonged to God. He is an Israelite. He should and may have been circumcised at eight days old and cutting off of the foreskin that said, you gods. He is to be respected and treated as at least objectively belonging to God. And it kind of serves as a second chorus to the first level. And it says, what? I am here, but I am here as his because I was born and live among his people. You know, it's this power of the covenant community biologically or adoptively. If you are in the congregation among the membership, your life too can sing in the second chorus. I am even uh, going to say the fact that you may be here today. Just the fact that you're in the seat today among God's people, uh, in their interacting in word and sacrament and discipline, that, that it is God's, in God's place, you are here. Now, you may feel like a dollar in a bag of hundred dollar bills, but you are in a bag that has special value and worth. But 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 moving on, there's another level of significance that Jephthah experiences here. Look with me at verse four going through eight. If I can find the text again, this wind blowing my pages and it ain't the wind of the Holy Spirit. That's just a strong air conditioning over there. Sometime later, verse 4, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you ha- hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come uh, with us to fight the Ammonites and you will be our head over all who live in uh, Gilead. And down in verse 11 at the end, it says... At the end of verse 11, and he repeated all his words before the Lord and Mitzvah. The asking of the elders also says God is choosing him here. It's a little emergent theory-ish here, but the elders have spoken because this guy has displayed some gifts and their words change. Their words and then declared before the Lord, they change. They, they almost overcome. He says, look, didn't you treat me bad? Nevertheless, hear what the elders are saying. Let's, let, let's, let's ratify your, your place. And, and, and God has said to him, you are his for his use. You are chosen by him, which means he has become and is your father. This day, that day, this moment. And as with Jephthah, illegitimate son, the burdensome one, the forgotten one driven away because people didn't warn him or approve of him because of real circumstances beyond his control, could ne- the one who could never be good enough, this was a, even though suspect, this was an incredible and awesome 
happening for him. Let me tell you what this means for those who profess to be his, like we saw this morning. Confessions received and approved by the elders. Yes, you can understand. I I use church illustrations a lot in membership, but you can still be a believer without uh, joining or without hearing approving for membership. But, you know, it, it is joined. What we see is joined your personal confession, a confirmation of what is already possibly true for his people. Sin no longer is their father. Neglect is no longer your father. Abuse is no longer your father. Failure is no longer your father. In front, for some of you, it was good news to hear that your earthly father, if you are God's, is no longer your father. That ultimately defines and decides your worth. God has now become your new beginning for those who are in Christ. A significance not of your choosing, but of God's finding and calling you his. Now I have to tell you that the elders choosing a Jephthah was fairly twisted. But before the Lord, he was chosen. I would be remiss if, if it obvious weren't true here about this choosing. Because we just kind of taken the peel off and what this choosing is about. It, it is not a necessary and important and significant thing. But that Jephthah is doing more than just walking the aisle or, or saying the sinner's prayer for the first time or taking communion, communion for the first time. He's being called to something, to do something, to act out his choosing by God. He is significant because of God's calling. Now, now let me make clear here it is not the calling itself, but the design and purpose of that choosing that is a call. It's a job description, um, giving, given and hiring, if you, and it speaks significance to Jephthah that I think he misses like we do and falls short. Look at me, at, look with me at the next uh, verses here, verses 9 through 13. Jephthah said, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your leader, your head? The elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and, and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord and Mitzvah. Then Jephthah sent messengers uh, to the Ammonite uh, king with the question, what do you have against us that you have attacked our country? The king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's messengers. When Israel came out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peacefully and of course he sends this letter and uh, with this long explanation that we don't have in your bulletin of why this land belongs to the israelites and the king of amnon says no way and war begins with jephthah leading but only significant as a calling as he is used to bring and declare god's kingship but He was used, the calling was about being used to say, God of Israel, he's the man, he's the king. And how is this done again? The land thing in pagan countries meant whoever was on the land was whoever's God had won and whoever's God was stronger at the time. And his argument and engagement with the Ammonites would not have been about Jephthah's claim of land and kingship, but more about God's claim of land for and through his people and Jephthah. For God is glory. 
to take the land and do works in the land would point in worship of a God by his people and worshipful respect from all those around them. And by reflection, that would give worth to his people. And it teaches us that we're called. We should live lives that say in everyday called things, fatherhood, motherhood, work, play, partying, relationships, marriage, whatever you do or don't do should be as the Protestant reformers declared the 16th century, soli deo gloria, which is Latin fancy way of saying, for the glory of God alone. For his and by his glory is my significance. There is wonder and awesome and worth in being the reflecting mirror of God in the world. In being the Jerome for God's Morris Day moment. In, in, in being the camera person for his posing. and being the guy who put the cape on James Brown, the godfather of soul. It is a call, it is a motivation, a, a worthy movement and manner of all that we do that says, my king, my God, his glory, and to the world, your king, your God, his glory for your worth. Sounds fun, but it means everything. The mundane, the times when nobody's eyes are on you, the way your mind thinks, the insignificant details for his glory, his kingship. But it's so hard when you get close to that fat steak you got to deliver to God. Man, it seems so, such a distance. I've got to walk through this whole life holding up this juicy glory and significance to God when I'm hungry for it. I mean, some of us here have prayed to get that job. And now our silent prayer on that is that God and his call on it for his glory would kind of leave us a little bit alone. Now, God's place in Christendom, I get this. God's place in Christendom is, God, you gather the scraps under our table of success and make a good story out of it, right? And God's power and wonder, you know, we say, God, you're so powerful, you're so good, you're so loving, that you will actually pick up the crumbs, the bones of our personal feast and getting glory out of it. And we put a tag on it that says, oh, I just thank God he's been so good to help me get the job. You know, it's just like the people get the awards. I would like to thank God. But God doesn't take scraps. He doesn't take your scraps then he ain't God. Uh, For your significance and his glory, he gets it all. And his grace, graciousness and mercy says, he will give you some as a reflection. Like, you know, you come home, I know how to, daddy sent you a store to get some. Dog, only got a 20. Boy, Go get me something or whatever. Mama. Oh, mama's the best one to do this with. Here's a 20, baby. Go get something. All right. Here's your oil, whatever she needs. Or whatever item. See ya. You know how many times my head, my pocket was fat at school with cash because I was willing to go to the store. 
You know, you just think, well, hey, that's mine right there, you know? Or, you know, it, it, it got, you're stealing, boy, you're stealing. And it's good, your, your parents are good. Sometimes they'll be like, okay. And you, you ask the person at the counter, give you some ones, you know, could you give me some ones? Because if you give me a 10, mama, you can't give me no 10 backs in the change. I need some ones, and that's the way it works. You, 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 you go into the world holding God's glory, and He is so good. He'll give you some ones. But the ones are his. The ones are his. He just give you a little bit. He, he wants. Jephthah, unfortunately, though, is like us. And just like some of the other judges of the Bible, they are called to show God his king. His king and they want the kingship and glory for themselves as a place of worth and significance for themselves. And asking the elders to be had. Now, now understand there's two things going on here. And it's hard. It's easy to miss that when they first ask him, will you be head over us or lead us? It is, hey, be a military leader, be a judge. But when Jake, when, when Jephthah comes back and says, will you really make me head of you all? When he says that, he's asking for a little bit more. I don't want to just be this military leader. I don't want to be the general. Can I be the president? You know, I don't, I don't want to be in the king's chamber. I want to be the king. Will you, elders? You see, what happens is elders would hire people. Boy, this, okay, anyway. Elders would hire people. <laughs> and the elders would be on top. And the person would be like a staff person. Sorry, it's like that in some of the churches. But this is just a staff person, right? But Jephthah saying, y'all hire me. I want to be the senior pastor. Will y'all do that if I win? And, 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 and asking the elders to do that, he wants to be a judge. And remember what the book of Judges is about? God is your judge and king and leader and earthly leaders only though importantly and significantly point to God. Can, can you blame him though? Can you blame him? Man, I do the same thing. He is a ghetto superstar. He's been eating scraps and now he has time to sit at the king's table. He, he's been, he, he's got the, he can get the captain's seafood platter instead of the schooner meal. Y- y'all get what I'm saying? He's, he, 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 he's got, he's got a chance to get the 30s instead of the 20s. I mean, man, I went to the car show yesterday. They had LeBron James Hummer out there. 30 inch rims. Oh my goodness. I could lay down inside those rims. I mean, I was like, you know, you see it on TV, like, yeah, he got some 30s. I was like, go run. The 30s come up to him. I'm like, ooh, I can sleep in there, right? I mean, his credit limit is 20,000, and Jake Jefferson is saying, I want $19,999 worth of, worth of, uh, merchandise now. He wants a big job in a corner office now. And that sort of thinking he is hoping for and reaching for significance in the eyes of others and himself. And it's right there for the taking. And he misses that that significant comes when his life is used and called by God to put eyes on the Lord rather than himself. Now, after explaining the deal to the Ammonites and then they're refusing, refusing to move out of God's people's land, the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. God was empowering Jephthah to do what he was called to do in his significance only of, okay, again as it would produce glory for God and Jephthah makes a vow. Let's look at verse 20. I mean uh, 30. Verse 30. Okay. Good thing? Okay. 
And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give me the, give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gave them into his hands. He was, he devastated, uh, 20 towns from Aurora to the vicinity of Mineth as far as Abel, Karamin, uh, thus Israel subdued Ammon. Amnon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mitzvah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter dancing to the sound of tambourines? She was an only child except uh, for her. He, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched because I've made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. Now, vow is not wrong in and of itself. The Bible has vows in the Old Testament, and it says it's done for a few reasons. Show gratitude to the Lord's faithfulness and a declaration of belief that come what may, I will trust and expect God to love me. Like an engagement ring. Most of you can't afford right now, right? But it's purchased and given not to win the heart of the one that loves you, but to express a trust and belief that this love will last and grow and be beneficial. So not a payoff or a bribe for God. That's the key to a vow. But this is often cited in commentaries of Bible studies as the foolish vow of Jephthah. And rightly so, not because he vowed, but why he vowed. We, we some of, we see and understand now why he would vow. If we go back to when he was talking, um, to, to the elders, it was, let me be the Lord over. Let us, let me lead you in war. And then I want to be the king. Um, and, and then in verse 29, we have the spirit come upon him. And in his understandable insecurity, remember he's an orphan and a dad or a mom abandoned kid that that isn't enough. In fear of being forgotten, I'm going to say of God. It, this, this isn't what I wrote down here, but it's so amazing how our earthly abandonments reflect on our view of God. In fear of being forgotten, not trusting that even God would be gracious to him or kick him out. He takes significance, not only from the people, but he tries to bully God into it now. To give him something he couldn't refuse. It's winning. And now this vow is about Jephthah and not the glory of God. And so this vow is a complete pagan act. You see, back then, they believed, um, in the pagan world, they believed that if you could give and promise your God something that was equal for what you were asking for, guess what? The God sort of had to do it. And so Jephthah is saying, look, if you give me the victory, I, I will, I will do it. And, and, and here's the deal. You know, I'm reading this thing and, and he says, I will offer to you. And then he goes on, right? The first thing that comes to my house. And he, I mean, he should have, should have been a period there, but there's a comma that says, as a burning sacrifice to the Lord. Cause you could vow people. Yeah, they could go work at the church the rest of their lives, but as a burning sacrifice. Was he re- was he thinking human sp- sacrifice or was he really expecting some animal sacrifice to come running through the door? Like nine times out of ten, if I op- go in my house, I'm jingling my keys. And if my dog Brandy is home, when I open the door, the first one at the door is Brandy because Brandy can hear me coming. You know, she got that dog ear thing. And, 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 and so if I had a vow, Brandy gone. Harrison and Clark and Kelly usually don't can't outrun and hear me coming. What was he thinking? Well, my research, I I couldn't find any history of house pets um, 
in Israeli homes at this time. The only other way this could be intentional pagan human sacrifice is it not meaning not wanting to sacrifice a human is if the door of the house meant gate like the picket fence and he was thinking the first thing that came out my gate um and, and maybe a lamb or a bull or, or somebody dog would be there but but these animals would have to in my estimation because of the way he describes it come out and meet me would have to be like cartoon animals right that come up to you and meet you and talk to you they're human friends like scooby the shaggy shaggy you know and there might be some other reasons Shaggy believes he can hear Scooby, you know. Maybe he can hear Scooby because he had a doobie. But anyway, we're not going there. But it just, when I read the text, I thought it just say, you know, it just seems to fit. Okay, here's my takeaway from it. Moving on. I believe he was hasting what he said, didn't think through it in the heat of battle. Like people say in these mob movies, well, you know, when the when the mob boss got you, the toes getting ready to chop them off or something, though, like y'all know. But you know the movies anyway. Hopefully ain't nobody know. About to take your knees out or something. Okay, I'll do anything. And the mob boss always says, okay. And it's something you can't really give. I want your wife or I want this. You know, and it's just kind of a cotton. He says it in true pagan form. And I believe that, that, that he wasn't expecting, he was expecting not a child, but something or someone he could spare. He was giving God a grab bag vow that in his providence would determine what it would be. But he just knew or didn't imagine in his haste it would be his daughter, maybe a servant girl. That would be rough. Sad, but not his daughter. Maybe a lamb. Okay, God gets shortchanged for the degree of victory the vow was supposed to get. But too bad for God if just a lamb or a scraggly old mangy mutt comes out the door. You know, God, you went for the deal. But it was too bad for Jephthah. Because his daughter and only child was the first to come out. And this foolish vow is used to teach God's people and Jephthah a hard lesson about the good news of being God's people. And the first lesson is this. You can't earn. You can't pay for. You can't even afford the significance that gives you lasting worth. It is God's alone to give. Jephthah was, was, did not become a judge because he did good in school. Now you didn't hear this. You need to do good in school. All right. You can get a better job or something. Do good in school. But he wasn't chosen to lead God's people because he was well-behaved or perfect or, 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 or from God's perspective or, or fast enough or skinny enough or buff enough or not to do this or that. And that was wrong for the elders to communicate. And, and, and Or sin-free or religious enough or time or on time enough or sorry enough or a parent that hasn't made any mistakes or with their kids or a kid that does everything and became everything mom and dad wanted them to be or someone who is good at fixing all that is wrong in their lives. No, people and God's people especially get their sin of importance and worth and value and uniqueness before the Lord according to what the Lord has done alone. Get this. Every attempt at significance, religious or other, is deadly. Ask anybody. I mean, I, I know some of y'all. Some of y'all know me. Ask Yourself or anybody who tries to be a good enough wife or good enough husband to feel worth 
or to be the right kind of girlfriend or perfect church person or kid. It kills you on the inside. It hollows you out when you have to perform. It takes, it takes what like Jephthah could not afford to give and it takes life from those we are in relationship with. Our kids, our wives, our friends, our community, our church suffers when we are in it trying to work and fight for self-worth and value and healing for ourselves from what has demeaned and damaged us. You kill others around you. Man, I do it to my boys and wife. When I make pastoring this church the place of my significance. I've done it. Me and Kelly, we, we got to deal with things after nine years of doing that. It kills your relationships just like it did Jephthah's daughters. Some of y'all working so hard, it's ridiculous. And you're hollowing out. You're asking your family. You're asking your friends. And some of us take very lightly the membership thing. You've got a whole church community that God has called you to be a part of. And in search for significance, some of you are like, hey, daddy, mama, will you feel really love me now? All this kind of stuff. This person, you know, some of y'all, y'all were nerds in school. And now you finally get a chance to be it. Some of y'all were, were it in school. And now you got a chance to do it right. And you're seeking to fix that kind of stuff. Some of you like Jephthah has been abused and left behind by your family and the Lord is saying when you try to get it folk around you die and you die too this is what happens and it's taught here to Jephthah what you tried to do because of victory because of sin is deadly the wages of sin is death the wages of self-righteousness and self-goodness and pagan searches for value are deadly and we see utter death here for Jephthah because his only daughter came so guess what the significance he wanted let me tell you how people think back then if he became king that meant all his kids would be king now he can now his kids don't have to grow up in the project Now, they don't have to fight the civil rights for the kids who are left behind. And we're sitting here. I mean, I'm sure he has all kind of good intentions. And his daughter hopefully will be a recipient of that significance. And look what happens. The person that he was looking to give significance or get it from because she would give him a son who could become king and a whole mess of Jephthah families that are now appreciated by the elders. The Lord took that away. Some of you are starting families and careers, hoping to be better, hoping that, that your kids and your wife and all that stuff would be better. Man, you're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and nobody's seen you or know you. And you're bringing a sinful beginning and maybe a life end to God's promise to you. It answers, but the second half of the vow is good news. It answers this question. How do we get it? What does it cost? Because we can't afford it. It's going to cost our life. It is like making a deal with a mob boss. God don't play. Sin ain't playing. What does it cost? 
The kind of stuff that has left you and me feel like nothings. What does it cost? What does a gift of belief in God's created identity cost? What does redemption of our nothingness or crumminess or self-loathing? Many of you want to believe that you're worth more than the person who walked out on you. You want to believe it. You need it. You need it replaced. You need it redeemed. You need it redeemed. What does it cost? It costs a merciful offering of life through death. Now, his daughter says, Daddy, you vowed to God for all you wanted. And I don't know whether her words are wrong or right or whether. But but for the glory of God and the love of you and God's people, I mournfully give my life for what you have already and will receive. Could Jephthah have gotten rid of the vow? Sure. He could have said, this is pagan, I can't do it, and taken the discipline, whatever, maybe he would have died. But it still, nevertheless, she dies so Jephthah can live. See, you and I have come looking for significance. Some of you are here seeking religion. If I could just get enough religion, enough God in my life. Lord, I'm coming to church to be good so you can be good to me. Lord, I'm trying to be a good person so that I can stop feeling so bad about all the wrong things done to me and done by me. Lord, I'm going to community group so people don't really have to know all the pain. Maybe if I can just get enough acceptance. Man, Lord, throw me a bone. I mean, something. Give me a touch, a taste of what my own goodness can get and warrant from you. My efforts. My sorrow. My own hatred of all I have become and done. Give me show me what my attempts at self-medicating can give and out of the out of the doors of God's kingdom into your life he sends his only begotten son Jesus mournfully but with loving purpose he's come out the door to your life, to be killed for your foolish attempts at self-worth. Some of y'all came playing church and you thought, hey, I know if I just give a God enough good time and I sit in church for these long sermons, whatever, God will do something for me. And out of the door comes Jesus. What does it redeem significant cost? How is it a gotten? It is given by God through the death of his son for your sins and received by faith through the grace of God that Jesus came so that you and I can live and lives in his sacrifice and he offers and offers of grace over and over again so that we can live with our heads lifted for real. With our lives restored and bearing value, the very worth, the very significance of one who has been bought, kept, Cleaned and loved the blood of the death of God in the flesh. God alone and Jesus Christ offers us the grace of significance through his word. The fellowship of his people and the sacraments of his church repent and turn to him for help. Yes, you vowed. Yes, you've thought some crazy things. Yes, you tried to seek self-worth through so much other stuff. Some of you even left good situations and sought it in other places. And God is saying, I'm sending Jesus out the door for you to die for your sins. Now you can live. You can come and you can repent for the vows you have made to yourself and to God and to your world. For those, all of you, dying for significance, 
Jesus died to offer and give and grant your life that significance. Ultimately, Jesus is the one who died for significance. Your significance. Your worth. Your value. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have made very pagan vows. We've made promises inside our hearts and our heads that we cannot keep. We've sought to grab significance in this world for ourselves. And by your glory, for your glory, through your Son, Jesus Christ, renew us and call us to repentance through the death and blood and life of Jesus Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come.